welcome to Australian Hunger, I'm your host Ben. On today's show I've got an interview with a shoegaze dream pop band, Blush Response, coming out of Adelaide. Not necessarily what I would define under the main kind of selling point or mantra or core brand proposition of this podcast, but the great thing about having your own podcast is you can basically do whatever you want. And if you're a fan of shoegaze, but you run a heavy metal podcast essentially, you can still include them, so that's what I'm going to do. Lust Response. Really, really great debut album. Um, that coming up soon. But before then, I want to talk a little bit about politics. Something I have an interest in, something I don't necessarily try to introduce that much, but I'm sure it's come up quite a bit, let's be honest. The reason I'm bringing it up is that there were a bunch of vegans protesting in Melbourne Central Business District. That's kind of like the... It's, uh, it's difficult to define, like, so Melbourne is a big city, there's lots of suburbs, but the urban area where the high-rises are, that's what we call the Central Business District. So there was a protest there, it caused quite a bit of disruption in terms of, it caused quite a bit of disruption to one of the sort of central entrances slash streets on our Central Business District, um, caused quite a bit of disruption to the trams, which is one of the primary forms of public transportation around the city. Um, they were trying to promote a movie, bring attention to their cause, and I'm all in favour of people getting disruptive, getting involved, being activists, but the problem I have with this particular form of protest is I don't think it served that particular cause very well. The primary problem I think vegans have is that people think they're fucking weirdos. And some of them are, some of them aren't. And even though I think their cause is an incredibly legitimate one, unfortunately one which I don't really have the moral fortitude to follow up with, I, I think it's something that really holds them back. And essentially the main consequence of this protest was for people to dislike them slightly more. And I think when we're talking about the way people actually process politics is it's incredibly emotional and not very deep. So if what we want people to do is take our issue seriously and they're only going to process at a kind of an emotional level and they don't like us, I think it is a very poor strategy to do something which makes them dislike you more. So that out of the way. Where this comes into music is there's a bunch of bands which write about politics to varying degrees. And... I often wonder, to what extent do they think they're doing something? Are they? Is it just something they're interested in and they want to tell a story about? Or is it some form of political activism? Because if it's some form of political activism, I feel very much the same way, in that it's a very ineffective way of going about it. And if it, if it isn't, it seems odd. And I say this as someone who like basically everyone who's sort of in the metal community and is in kind of the media, even if they don't release music, dabbles in music and would definitely want to release sort of music which has themes, concepts, lyrics, which relate to politics. But it is, I think it is a weird, odd thing that politics is supposed to be, politics, social issues, are supposed to be this serious thing which we're trying to move forward on, make some progress, get towards some sort of goal. Yet, if you're not taking it seriously, it's not an activism thing. It's sort of just in your song. I don't know. It, it is a weird thing how these kind of very important issues, which have real-world implications, have real-world things that drive them forward, real-world people who are actually interested in them, and it's kind of just part of a song. Like, it's theoretically just there for entertainment value. I don't know where I'm going with that. It's just a thought I had. And again, that's the benefit of having podcasts. You can just do it if you want. And <laughs> so, maybe I should have already thought that one, but oh well, I've done it. 
So Alistair Douglas, man behind Adelaide band Blush Response, and like quite a few bands I've talked to, it sort of started off as a one-man band, but it's sort of grown into something more, and he's been able to form a a band around it, a live band, and perhaps something that appears to be becoming more of a full band, which is really, really exciting. So he released an album last year called Hearts Grow Dull, and um, it's really great. I think it's it's just an incredibly great example of that style, and it, it really resonated with me with that part of me, which really enjoys that type of music. The songs I play during the interview are Cruel, Fall Apart, and Still Life, all from the album Hearts Grow Dull. This is Alistair Douglas from Blush Response. It's funny, so I was doing a bit of research, going through Facebook, checking for interviews and all that sort of stuff, and there's actually a really, really in-depth feature on you. Um, I actually can't, I haven't got in front of me where it was written in, um, but yeah, that, that sort of, I, I think that goes through a lot of your sort of the band in-depth, some of your thinking, um, so I'd probably recommend up the top that people check that out. Uh, oh, uh, Indie30. Um, so yeah. I, I, I don't want to cover too much of that stuff um, and be too repetitive. Um, to start off with, what kind of attracts you to the music that Blush Response plays? Um, I think I've always been drawn to uh, music with kind of like a dreamier um, sound to it. Um, I've never been a particularly confident vocalist, and I think the attraction of being able to bury vocals under guitar textures appeals to me a lot um shoegaze in particular like it's i think at its like core they're kind of like the short catchy pop songs that you kind of just cover with a lot of noise um and i I like that idea of taking something that's you know short and catchy and concise and just making it a little bit abrasive and a little bit uncomfortable um at times one thing it's certainly not my type of music like i like shoegaze but like when you sort of take away some of the fuzz <laughs> for some reason it sort of loses my interest but you you definitely are more involved in that kind of um region of styles talk a little bit about um i don't know what is when you say pop what is pop i mean when i, when I say pop i don't mean sort of you know chart pop or sort of electronic pop um that you'd hear on like commercial radio i'm talking sort of uh really traditional um song structures you know verse chorus verse chorus bridge end kind of thing um you know songs that sort of live and die by their melodies and their hooks um things songs that don't sort of get lost in their own grandeur and sort of uh, i <laughs> sounds weird to say i've limited um patience for the psychedelic genre because i'm not about sort of you know nine minute to 15 minute jams that kind of just meander around i like my songs to be really concise um i guess that's what yeah draws me to it now you you were in a number of bands i'm not sure about kind of the exact timeline but you've been a number of bands over the years why did you want to do something solo i know that you've also got uh furs f-i-r-s as well you're sort of blush response and furs were sort of dueling at the time when Blush Response really sort of took off in 2014. Talk a little bit about why you kind of wanted to release stuff on your own. Um, I guess it came off the back of playing in other people's bands for I don't know, like six or seven years. Um, and a lot of those bands were very uh, sort of auteur focused. So it'd be, you know, I'd be playing, I'd be joining a band and playing the parts that were already written. Um, it was great fun. I really enjoyed playing in some of those bands like 20th Century Graduates. 
Um, I was also reading Wild Oats, which was more of a collaborative affair. Um, there's a bunch of them, but I think it took me a while to work up the confidence to actually perform my own music, especially live. I had I had a little sort of run of releasing stuff onto MySpace and never really promoting it and doing anything, just letting it exist in the ether. But it wasn't until sort of, you know, when Furs um, came out, I think Furs was like 2013, 2014, that I was really putting my own name to music. And I think that just came, was the confidence that I sort of got from playing in other bands over the years. And I just wanted to do something of my own eventually. Where'd the name Blush Response come from? Uh, it's a track off the Blade Runner soundtrack, um, which is a favorite film of mine. Why why did you choose that one? Um, I think it's, I just like the way that words sound together and the way they look written. Um, I, I have a thing about uh, the way words look when they're written. If like a word looks ugly to me, I just don't want to be associated with it in a creative sense. Um, but also, I guess, I don't know if it came after I chose it, but I've kind of taken on a second meaning in as much as like a blush response is something that you get when you're you know embarrassed or awkward or um you know that kind of emotion and to me performing this music was it did make me blush a bit i guess that's a bit cheesy to say but like it was coming from a kind of place of awkwardness and a bit of lack of confidence but yeah i don't know i think that's something that came after the fact mm-hmm. um so you released the two eps in 2014 talk a little bit about how they come about and sort of what place they were coming from um, so the two piece there was the first one was Telltale and that was in February and then Dead Air was in August of the same year. I was doing Telltale was kind of like a a bit of like a distraction or escape from the first EP that I was doing at the time called Sweet Nothings and I was kind of running myself in circles with that first EP, not really making much progress and then I had some computer issues and Furs is all electronic based, so as soon as there's computer issues everything goes downhill. Um so I started recording what would be the Telltale EP just as a kind of a way to do something that was really different, just completely guitar-based, no synth, um, you know, real drums. And, yeah, it, I didn't mean for it to become a band, I don't think. Um, and I sort of just put it on Bandcamp um, with little fanfare to sort of just put it up there. Um, and it actually got a bit of attention really quickly, which is really encouraging. And that's when I sort of thought that the project might have some legs. And off the back of that, because I was so excited about it, I started recording the next EP pretty much immediately. Um, the first EP was songs I'd had sort of lying around for, you know, a few years, but the um, second EP was very much written for the band. In terms of um, Hearts Grow Dull, uh, so those released in 2018, um, what, an interview I was reading from you, you talk a little bit about the attraction of EPs, the fact that in having, you know, four or so songs, it's very hard to put filler in there. You You kind of forced to be at your best the entire time um but you also mentioned kind of the, the obvious attraction of doing a, a full length it's kind of just the thing why did you eventually decide that hey this album is a, this release is actually going to be a full length i think it just felt like the right time um i remember sort of thinking to myself whether i had you know i had probably like five or so songs at one point and i was like should i just make this another ep um and i, I decided that an album's something I've always wanted to do, um, like full length and release on vinyl. It's kind of like a bucket list item for me. I thought that if, you know, if I don't do it now, then um, it'll be probably another, you know, several years before I work up the material again to record an album. So it just felt the right time, I think. And the more I sort of investigated the sound and the sort of themes of the album, the more 
ideas came to me surrounding that. And I, I just found that I was able to create, you know, 10 songs that sort of fit together and felt like that they deserved to be an album. It wasn't just putting more songs into a project just for the hell of it to make it an album. Yeah, yeah, that, that was something that was really interesting that I, I read, that um, I think it was Drive and Horizon, you rewrote the music to that because they didn't fit with the rest of the album. Talk, talk a little bit about what that kind of core of the album is um, that you were trying to kind of fit those songs into. Yeah, um, I think for the album, the like the direction I wanted to take it was sort of bigger, darker, heavier than the EPs were. Um, and I was sort of conscious when I was writing the music about pushing in that direction and the original versions of horizon and drive were coming off the back of the, I wouldn't say they're light sounding songs, the EPs, but they were certainly coming off the back of that style. Um, and when I sort of put them in the track list with the other songs, they just, they stuck out a bit. Um, so I went back and pretty much only kept the lyrics, just rewrote the music, um, for something that was more intentionally focused to fit with the album. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that really interests me as well was the the writing process. Talk a little bit about how you go about that, um, how the sort of uh, recording and like actual writing process kind of, like, there's no sort of differentiation, um, sort yeah. of clean differentiation between them. Yeah, so um, I guess because up until now, um, shortly to change, um, the project has just been me um, recording and writing by myself. Um, so the process in which I work and sort of come up with the songs and demo them is uh, there's no real, I think bands, when they write, they'll write a bunch of songs, they'll workshop them together and they'll take them to a studio and they'll do the good versions with me because it's um, just me. I write the parts as I go and then I sort of tidy up the songs as I go. And then eventually they'll become the good versions. Um, There was, the album deviated that from that a bit as much as once I got to the end of that process, I decided that I wasn't really happy with some of the production decisions I made. So I went back and recorded a large bunch of it again. Um, but I never sort of went, okay, demoing done, album starts now.
Well, one thing that I'm always fascinated by, I've interviewed a few bands who do improv, so they do a lot of improv that kind of means that they're constantly working on the songs and there's sort of a constant ability to kind of go forward um, ad infinitum. How do you know that a song is complete? What What's the quality of it that sort of signals that to you? Um, it's a hard one to say, I think. Um, I think it's like a law of diminishing returns. The, the, the changes you're making, you become very acutely aware that they're either not making much difference or they're making things worse and they're creating more problems for you. And I think once... I try to, before I get to that point, I sort of, I try to call it. Um, and usually for me, if I'm throughout the process, throughout the mixing process, I'm always bouncing out versions of the songs and then listening to them in the car or, you know, before I go to bed or whatever. And if a song gets like a repeat factor for me, like I get to the end of it and I just want to sort of put it on again, I'm pretty confident that the song is done at that point. So I'll sort of let it sit for a while and then I'll come back to it in a few days and then give it another listen and then sign off on it. In in terms of kind of in the middle of the process, like what are you doing to progress a song forward? Like we're we're not at that stage where maybe you have to call it. We're we're at the earlier stage. How are you moving the song forward? In like, hey, I, I'm it's not there. It will be there eventually. How how do you get from point A to point B? It's like the early demoing process. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah. I guess like it different differs from you know a writing band in as much as. I don't have or haven't exposed myself to the ability to um, sort of just work through a song organically with people and sort of, you know, start playing and then stop and talk about what needs to change with me. I'm sort of writing with my computer. So I'll like piece together a, a rudimentary drum part and I'll just let that run for, you know, six minutes or something. And I'll just noodle guitar over that. Um, and then I'll chop up the guitar bits and then I'll find the best bits and then I'll arrange them in some sort of structure. And then I'll, jams and bass over that it the song doesn't take structure immediately a lot of it's just recording scraps over pre-recorded parts um so i don't know to anyone who's more familiar with writing and music in a band it might seem really convoluted and frustrating to sort of have to bounce off a computer but it's just the way that i've uh accustomed myself to it i guess Let's talk a little bit more about the the home studio that you've got. How did you sort of come to have the proficiency to be able to record um, by yourself? Um, shortly after high school, I, I was unsure about what I wanted to do, and I enrolled in the SAE um, diploma in Adelaide. Um, they're like a worldwide audio college. And, yeah, just learned a lot of the skills from that. Um, I knew a bunch of it already, I guess, from just messing around myself, but that sort of really gave me the uh, the framework, I guess, and the, the theoretical knowledge to produce music myself better than I had been previously. So I, I have studied it, which helped a lot. Mm-hmm. In, in terms of the overall sound of the band, um, one of the sort of kind of really beautiful things about under shoegaze and related kind of musical styles is that they do have that quality of having sort of, um, you know, pop songs, something kind of a, a melody underlying, but then they've got this sort of haze, this noise over the top, which brings a whole new dimension about it. How do you kind of navigate the difference between it being kind of an incomprehensible kind of noisy mush and it like not having that quality of noise that you kind of want? Um, I think you've got to trust your ear a bit. Um, 
I don't sort of have a formula for it. I just keep adding parts until maybe it's a bit too much and then I pull it back. Um, I like it to be, I think certainly with EPs, I, I think I, I went a bit more noisy with the EPs. Um, I liked the the fact that you kind of almost feel like you have to squint through the noise to hear the underlying um, pop sensibilities. I think for the album, I tried to maybe make the, you know, the pop song and the, like the lyrics and the melodies a little bit more up front. Um, I've had people tell me that I didn't, but I feel like I made them more obvious. Um, so, yeah, it's just, I think it's just about trusting your ears and um, you, you know when things are getting too much, I think. What is kind of the overall attraction of, like, that, that, that fuzz, that... Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a very good musician, so I don't really have the words to it. But what's the sort of attraction of that kind of, I don't know, thing that it's almost wave-like? I, I yeah, know. I, I had, like volume, like the sheer volume of music, especially when you see it live. Um, there's a real physicality, or like a real, real visceral reaction from just hearing really loud guitars. Um, that I just, I don't know, I really, really like it. Um, it's sort of, you can kind of, it gets to the point where you're not just listening to two guitars and a bass, um, drums obviously, but like two guitars playing individual parts, they kind of start to swell and merge and bleed at the seams and you kind of, it creates something more than the sum of the parts. Um, I also really like it, the genre and associated genres, I guess, um, because it lets me play loud, obnoxious guitar music without any of the kind of like rock posturing none of that gross rock and roll attitude you can kind of just i don't know it feels like, like i can be more honest to who i am while still playing loud obnoxious rock music <laughs> that makes sense no, that, that kind of merging of guitars and and bass into one it, it kind of reminded me I, I saw my bloody valentine when they came here last and they have the this thing at the end. Uh, did you did you see them when they came? I don't know. Did I did. Come? Yeah, I went to Melbourne to see them. Um, the, the noise holocaust at the end, where they play for yep. what was it, twenty minutes or something? I think I think I timed. It. I think they were like sixteen and a half minutes. Mm. Um, yeah, during that song, you made me realise they just break into that noise section. Um, I had they were giving out earplugs um, at the entrance to the gig, which is I don't know, responsible. I guess you don't want to have lawsuits of people going deaf, but. Um, I had earplugs in for pretty much the whole gig, but I took them out intentionally during that section just to feel for a second that dangerous volume. Um, I only lasted for you know uh, ten seconds without them in my ears and put them back in, but just to feel that, like even with the min, you still felt it in your chest. The sort of the sheer volume it was, yeah, it was quite amazing. So I think it was without you. It- appeared on the Dead Air EP as well. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah. Well, why do you want to include it on the album? Um, it was probably my favourite from that EP. Um, and I wanted to have that song pressed into vinyl, just purely for a, like on a sentimental level. I like that song, so I wanted it to appear on the vinyl that I pressed. Um, but also thematically, it um, deals with... Uh, feelings of isolation and separation from um, someone close to you um, and how you cope with that um, and the thought process of, you know, how to navigate that situation. I don't know, being vague, but um, yeah. So thematically 
it fits. But the main reason was I really liked it as a song and I wanted it to be included with this group of songs. Mm-hmm. That, kind of, that kind of moves well into my next question. The lyrics, how, how do you approach them? Lyrics are a really hard thing for me. I, I, they don't come easily to me um, at all. And if I get any hint of cringe factor from something I'm writing, I, I'm very quick to sort of turn tail and run from it, I think. Um, so it's often the last thing that is locked down for a song. Um, and it can go one of two ways. Either I can have a really strong idea of what I want to say in a song and I can essentially write the lyrics um, without uh, really thinking about the song too much. It's just kind of prose, I guess. Or it can go the other direction and I can have the song finished and I'll essentially sing kind of nonsense mumbled melody over the guitar. And once I've got a melody I'm happy with, I start to think about what I want to say and then what words could fit in those gaps. Um, so it's either very intentional um, and forethought or more stream of consciousness um, and filling in the gaps, I guess. But whichever way I go, I know I really... I sort of, I think I have a, a, I set myself a high bar um, in terms of um, lyrics. I don't, I hate cringeworthy lyrics. So yeah, it's really important to me to not do that. Is that, is that, so the cringe, is that dissatisfaction with them or fear that other people will view them as cringeworthy? What, what is that? Probably equal measure, both, I reckon. Um, it's, I think it's easy to be, too overwrought or too earnest or trying to be too poetic sometimes. And I think people can see through that. And I think I just, a lot of these songs sort of came from a place or talked about things that were, you know, really personal to me and that I didn't want to overplay and I didn't want to be melodramatic. And yes, I just, I always had that in mind and I sort of, I wanted to write as honestly um, as I could while still being interesting about it, I guess.
Why did you choose Hearts Grow Dull as the title of the album? Um, again, it goes back to the, um, I like the way the words look written and I like the sound of them when they're said together. But more than that, um, it kind of summed up to me. Um, oh, there's two parts to it. The song itself typified what I wanted to achieve with the album, that it was like that real swirling, dark, heavy um, sections contrasted with the lighter, dreamier sections. That was that, you know, um, dichotomy. I don't know if that's the right word, between the, the light and the dark and the heavy and the quiet. So that was really important. So that song was like the feature piece. But also the, the title, Hearts Grow Dull, um, I've just said I don't like to be too tricky with my wordplay and, or too cringy, but it came from the twist on the saying, um, distance makes the heart grow fond. But in my experience, it was distance makes the heart grow dull. And that was kind of the theme for the album was about um, distance and relationships um, and how that can affect you. So so the album was released nearly a year ago, um, a year ago and maybe a week or so. Um, yeah, wow. Yep. <laughs> oh, hang on. Uh, April. No. So wait, geez, we are nearly April. Yes, a year ago. <laughs> <laughs> how, do, how do you feel about the album sort of a year out obviously there's a little bit of time before um that when the album was sort of completed but like you know it's sort of released to the public it becomes sort of something different how, how do you feel about a year out from the original release uh, i don't think my opinion of it has really changed um i'm still like really proud of it um i don't listen to it anymore <laughs> i think i sort of burnt myself out during the mixing process and shortly after. And then we've been playing the same, we've been playing songs off the album live since then. Um, so I don't listen to it as much as I used to, but in terms of the way I think about it and how important it is to me, it's still, yeah, that's still very, it'll, it'll always be my, my first album. Um, you know, very happy that that was the one that it was. Earlier in the interview, you mentioned that the band sort of function is changing a bit. Talk a little bit about that. Um, so, yeah, I guess, as I've already said, the process up until now has mostly been me. I mean, we had um, Emily Retzis, um, who was the original bass player, played bass in Cruel off the record, and I got um, Brody Brummer um, from Flying Colors to play guitar on that song too. So it's not just me, but up until now it's been pretty much me. Um, but moving forward, um, we're trying to uh, make it more of a band affair. Um, we've just recorded two songs. Um, we're going to be using for a, a split um, with a band from the US called Warm, um, and the song, the songwriting process was um, it was kind of the midway. So it was mostly me for the songwriting process. But when we actually took it to the um, to record it, um, we've got you know Walter and Joe and Zach playing all, all their parts, and um, there was a bit of you know leeway in the writing and you know zach came up with some more guitar textures and stuff so it's yeah it's going to sound more like a band affair i think what sort of drove you to play this music live like what's what's the appeal of playing music live that kind of wanted you to hey actually you know put in the effort to make it a, a live band um i guess live music and me have a weird relationship i've done it for so long and i really love it and i find it rewarding um but at the same time it can terrify me so i'm attracted to and retreat from it sometimes in equal measure um but i think with it just made sense i mean all the bands i played in previously it's just what you did you wrote music and you played live um and i guess because i'd been you know recording stuff myself and just not playing it live. I think, I guess I thought now was the time if I'm going to do a proper band, 
proper bands play live. Um, and certainly with the, the style of song, you know, it's you can mix something to sound big and loud, but there's no, there's no real replacement for hearing that live and seeing people play and hearing it come off the stage and out of the PA. Um, so it kind of, it just made sense. What, what are you trying to do when you play live? Like there's, you know, a sort of an, maybe an ideal way to play live or there's something you're trying to achieve when you play a show. Like, what, what is that? Um, with Blush Response, I guess the challenge is there's so many layers in the recordings that the challenge is finding the right arrangements to do the album justice. Um, I know there are bands that really like to push the boundaries of their live performance and give something, you know, do new reworkings of the song stuff, but that's not really what I've, I've been about up until now. It's more just about achieving the songs as best as I can, as as true as I can live. Um, and yeah, just making it a really, you know, concise, tight experience, I guess. Um, I, I don't think about it too much. <laughs> I think if I think about it too much, I start to break myself out. And yeah, so I sort of, I just want to play the songs for people to experience live. I think that's it. Are you involved in any other bands or projects at the moment? Um, I've just started playing drums um, for a band in Adelaide called Little Dust um, with Alex Diamon, who used to play guitar in Blush Response, and Larissa Perry, who's an old friend of mine. Um, we've played bands in bands for a long, long time together. Um, I haven't sort of officially joined the band, but I've been playing with them. It's been a lot of fun. Um, because up until, well, for the past few years, it's just been Blush Response. It's just been my thing. Um, so, yeah, it's good to have a, another musical outlet. I want to ask you a couple of sort of last personal questions, uh, kind of mm-hmm. about you and sort of your music, or well, I guess music in general, really. When did you sort of start properly listening to music, like listening to music that really resonated with you? Um, in terms of my current taste, I would have... Year 12, fun of your high school, I think, was the um, the year that I kind of attribute my current taste to. I mean, before then, I was listening to other genres that I don't sort of identify with as closely anymore, um, like hip-hop, um, you know, some like electronic-y music, drama-based stuff. But um, in terms of alternative music, I think I, f- I found uh, Jeff Buckley, a Jeff Buckley CD in my parents' drawer in year 12, and I listened to that, and I fell in love with it. And then that led on to, you know, Elliot Smith and Bright Eyes. And that's kind of year 12 was the point where I'd sort of say I found my current taste and became, you know, probably obsessed with music and the making and creation, digesting of it. You you play all just about all the instruments in the album and the EPs. Why did you, um, when you were sort of learning musical instruments at a young age, why did you branch out? I'm not sure. I think I just liked a lot of aspects. I, I started learning piano um, when I was quite young and I did that up until middle school um but I lost interest when it sort of I wasn't really into classical music at the time um so I stopped playing piano and I think I just tried to find the next instrument I wanted to play I started playing bass in a band and then dabbled with guitar and drums and I sort of found that I got a lot of satisfaction out of playing all the different things um a lot of like musicians a lot of musicians get, you know, satisfaction out of being really good at their one instrument. They become a virtuoso. They practice and they do their, you know, drill scales and stuff, and they get really good at that one instrument. But that's never really what I've been about. Um, 
maybe that's a cop out, but I always feel that I play music as a songwriter more than a guitarist or more than a drummer. Um, it's I'm not excellent at one given given instrument, so I'm not confident at one given instrument. I just know enough about a lot of them to write the songs that I want to write. I guess does that make sense? So you play guitar and uh, obviously you sing um, for blush response when you're playing live, right? Mm-hmm. Why? So our vocals are kind of obvious, but, but why guitar when you're on stage? Um, guitar, I guess, is to me the characteristic sound of blush response. Um, so I wanted to do that myself and deliver that myself, so I could achieve it in the way that it sounded on the records. Um, because that I think the the vocals and the guitar are sort of the the signature sound, I guess. When did you just start singing? Oh, um, I think I probably first started singing in bands in like, I don't know, 2000 and probably singing in bands, probably like 2010-ish, I guess. I think that was, I was playing in a band called Wild Oats um, and another band called Alphabet. Um, and Alphabet was like a 60s jazz pop group and with these really amazing um, musicians, um, a lot of whom had graduated from the conservatorium here. So they were like amazing jazz musicians and coming, joining that band, I was not a confident singer. Um, but they pushed me to, uh, sing harmonies and sing some lead parts. And so I think I can attribute that band to being the point where I started to become confident and certainly become better at being a vocalist. Um, but it's not something I've always been confident with and I'm still not, don't consider myself a, a singer, I guess. Last question. What have you been listening to, watching, or reading lately? Oh, man. Um, what have I been listening to lately? Um, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, Grievo, this band from Texas, released uh, an album last year that I've been had on heavy repeat. Um, I've gone back to Autolux's Future Perfect album recently. I've been smashing that. Um, watching... Uh, I just started the new season of the OA, which I'm really excited about. I really like season one. And I finally submitted to the uh, the US office um, after years of swearing that it would not be good as, as good as the UK version. I've actually found I've been really enjoying it. I've been marathoning that a little bit.
that was still life before that we heard fall apart and the first track was cruel all from hearts grow dull by blush response thanks again to alistair for chatting to me before i leave you i want to recommend an album um I don't know whether this should be sort of a segment where I try and branch out, I try to recommend interesting things, different things. I, I feel like I have recommended a lot of the same things, but I mean, that's kind of music that I'm, really attracts me and resonates with me. So I'm, I'll have to think about how I actually do this. A band, you know, a one-person band, like many of them are, which has attracted me recently, is Sadness. Released three albums in the last few months, in particular... Um, the album Circle of Veins it combines just a really atmospheric soundness with really loud and melodic choruses. One of the things that really fascinated me is this the multiple voices that are used, which you don't necessarily find that much in black metal unless it's some sort of death metal hardcore influence gang vocals. But no, this is it's multiple voices kind of singing a chorus. Really, really fascinating. And the fact that it includes sort of the typical instrumentation with electronics, I love that approach. It just means that you're not kind of limiting yourself. You're, you're widening your possibilities. So there's three albums there for you to check out. My sadness, but in particular, Circle of Veins, I really, really enjoyed. I have an interview coming up with a band which perfectly complements Blush Response, Risenus death metal band <laughs> so that that later in the week but until then thanks for joining me you can catch me on social media facebook twitter instagram all at oz hunger that's a us hunger you can send me an email australianhunger at gmail.com bye